0: We are in the middle of uh, the situation in Israel uh, in the 850s, roughly, of B.C., uh, which puts us really a little more than 100 years before the northern area is taken captive. That's a spoiler alert. That'll be 721-722 B.C. And uh, so we have these, these moments where... Uh, we have these moments that are sort of highlighted. Obviously, God isn't going to give us comprehensively and exhaustively all that takes place in that hundred-plus years. But he does give us some kings. He walks us through every king at least and gives us sort of one moment, if not another, that um, kind of typifies their life. But he also occasionally develops somebody else's life. And he has done that here. And he has done that with um, Elisha. And he's also done that with a guy named Gahati. Gauthi, I remind you, was the servant of, uh, of Elisha. And he is also a man who we're going to see tonight really becomes a, a point of great concern. And, and so I'm always kind of watching and looking for these telltale signs because I don't want anything to look like the Gehazi that I know in Scripture here. And, and Israel is in a place where it is really in the simplest sense. First of all, Israel is, com- is, is completely walking apostate. They're calling themselves people of God, and by birth and by nationality, they are. By promise, they are. But by practical lifestyle and protocol, they are not. So imagine they have this fantastic call on their life. They have this privilege and this promise that they would, in their obedience, be a light to the entire rest of the world at their obedience. But God also promised, he says, look at you follow me and do what I say, I will bless you no matter where you are, sitting up, lying down, going or coming in the field or in the city. It doesn't matter. You can't escape my blessing if you follow me. But the converse is also true. You want to live in disobedience? You want to live kind of in rebellion? Then don't expect to find a place to hide from the consequences of it either. Now, there is a great promise in that, and there's a great warning in that. It all depends on, now, if that freaks you out more than encourages you, it sounds like there's some changes that need to take place in your life. Now, the good news is, if it bothers you, that means the Holy Spirit's already saying something to you. And in this time, what we find is, in the South, we actually have a decent king, and his name, of course, is Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, he's known for actually being a man who is not very gifted at discerning relationships. And he's allowing people to influence him. He never should. And what we see is there is a horrible union here. Hear me on this. Between somebody who actually is seeking to serve the Lord, who is seeking to bless God, who is seeking to be obedient to God, and another group of people who really, in the simplest sense, kind of have all the namesakes and may listen to the same stations and may carry the same book and so forth, but are in living in ardent disobedience. Now, listen, God actually does not condone unity with everyone. He condones unity with those that are his. And let me tell you how harsh God gets with it. In the Old Testament, God actually talks about those that are going to be, in essence, gangrene or cancer to other people. And he tells you to take that person down and stone them before they have a chance to really hurt everybody else. Now, if you recognize that, the New Testament doesn't sound so bad when it just simply says that you are not supposed to eat or drink with a brother or a sister, claiming to be a brother or sister, who is living in a state of ardent and open rebellion with God. Now, you don't have to believe me like always. Please don't just believe me. Don't just assume what I say is true. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. But please consider that what God says is... And by the way, look at it for yourself. First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, there are brothers, but if they live this kind of lifestyle... And it goes everything from basically greed and avarice to sexual immorality. And he says, whatever this case, if this is their lifestyle... In other words, if this really becomes the emblem of their life more than me, and they are in essence totally in rebellion with me to live this life, he says they actually need something called shame, which by the way, until about five years ago, that just sounded like a complete off-limits word, but today it's a real common thing. It's just only common in the internet community. Let's be honest. They fat shame and body shame and person shame and political shame and shame, 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 shame. There's all kinds of shame out there now. But it's interesting because though Christian shame, have you noticed this? How dare you say this is wrong? You need to be tolerant. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact you can't be tolerant with someone unless you disagree with them. Because if you agree with them, what is there to tolerate? And to say that I disagree with someone or to say that you disagree with somebody is them being intolerant to the fact that you're willing to disagree. I can disagree with someone's ideology and still love them as a human being, still care for them as a human being, if I were a doctor and they were brought into a and E, I wouldn't look and go, well, my theology or whatever disagrees with this person. To be honest, if their theology disagrees with me, I would want them rescued from death more than I would, you know, even more vehemently, because I wouldn't want them to have to face their judge without actually having said yes to God's provision. And Israel is in a season of being in essence the complete compromiser who now is in essence completely in union with the South who is not in ardent rebellion with God but being careless in their unions. And the result of this is going to be deadly to both nations. Please hear me in that. Be careful what friends you choose. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, during this particular time, God then responds as he promised with famine. Now, it isn't that God has to inflict famine. The bottom line is God is a provider, and at rebellion to God, he removes his provision because you're not going to him for it anyways. During this time, we again have a person who is archetypical of a lot of this, and that's this servant of Elisha, and his name again is Akahati. What we know already is he's not a man of prayer. He'd rather be flinging rods. He's not a man of discernment when it comes to filling pots. And what we're going to see tonight is that he's not a man of faith in regards to feeding lots. So it tells us in verse 42 that there was a man who came from Baal Shalisha. Remember, the last thing was they made this death stew. Remember that? Fair, fair to call it a suicide stew. There was death in the pot. Flour was thrown in. We'll talk about that another day. when We developed it a bit last week. And with that then, God heals the stew. And it's interesting because Elisha has, by the way, he's been a man of power and of healing. There have been two waters, and then there have been two mums, and then there have been two meals. That's kind of the way it's been up to this point. And so what happened by the end of it is, is that everyone gets stew. And now they get kind of a a, a bread stew because there's flour involved in it too. And by the way, I wonder if this was the beginning of sort of thickening up your gravy with flour. I don't know if any of you do that. Uh, And so now we get, and again, there was this big pot during a famine. People have thrown their stuff in and now people are eating. And then it says in verse 42 that a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God, that being Elisha, bread from the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. Now, who is he talking to? Well, they're bringing it to him, and it says, but his servant. No, did, notice it doesn't say one of his servants. Well, his servant was Gehazi. And his servant says, Ma, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. And he set it before them. And they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. This is how it starts. Now, you don't have to be a New Testament theologian to realize this sounds an awful lot like two situations that take place in the New Testament with Jesus. Now, granted, it wasn't 100. It was 4,000 and 5,000 or in opposite order, if you wish. Five thousand Jewish people with then twelve small baskets left over and then four thousand in essence from Decapolis, it's Gentile territory with seven large baskets left over and that 's in for it's worth in matthew sixteen nine mark six forty four luke nine John six it 's one of the very very few miracles that 's actually recorded in all four gospels for what it 's worth now if for nothing else, God is certainly preparing us for Jesus through this text, because we know that this is going to be something that God does provisionally. He takes care of his people when they actually seek to, to worship it. But first of all, it just seems strange that this guy is sort of showing up with this. Why isn't he bringing it to the temple? The reason he's not bringing it to the temple, I remind you, is because he's from Israel, the northern area, and they've been forbidden to go beyond their territory, which is where Jerusalem is. That's why, by the way, their first king, if you remember, set up those gold cows. He's like, why don't you just do this instead? Come on, it's closer, it's more convenient. And you know how that goes. Because it's always easy to find a really not great, closer and more convenient thing. And by the way, sin will always appear to be more convenient and easy than it is to walk upright. You guys know that, right? I mean, if you're kind of going, I'm looking for the least difficult road... Well, unfortunately, Jesus tells us that's the road to destruction because he says it's narrow and difficult is the one that actually is the road to salvation. But what really strikes me in verse 42 is where the man came from. Did you notice where... Can anyone tell me, according to verse 42, where he came from? Excellent. Why is that important? Well, it's only be co- important because it wasn't originally called Baal Shalisha. Do you know what it was originally called? Shalisha. That's the sad part about this, is that this particular place actually had a name before, and now they've added Baal. That tells you a little bit about the influence that's taken place. That makes sense, right? Now, to be honest, this is a really great place to note this, England, that being. And the reason is because we have all of these like amazing street names. and I mean, it's like just... If I remember correctly, just east of Bournemouth is a place called Christchurch. I mean, there are places I want to visit just because of their names, like Gravesend. That just sounds awesome. It's probably creepy or weird, or it's probably just another high street. But, it, but in the day, I'm thinking when somebody came up with this name, I mean, I just think that there were two groups of people that named places in England. There were those who wanted to honor God, and there were those who wanted to be left alone. You get that? So on one side they're naming places like the Way of the Cross, or you know, or something like that, like Christchurch. And then on the other side you have things like Spitfields, right? Spittlefields or Mudchute. Like you know, who gets a postcard from a place like that? And the point is, is that sooner or later those places get changed. You know, there is even this is happening in America. There is a there is a, a school, and it's a Christian school, or it's a, uh, that's called St. Croix, or Saint Croix, which, by the way, you may know means St. Cross, which is kind of a weird thought in of it. So guess what their, their the emblem was? A cross. But they were not allowed anymore to have the cross as their, uh, as their emblem. And, and, and that's even weird for a Christian school. I'm like, how in the world does that work? And this place that had been originally Shalisha now has become Baal Shalisha. And I go, wow. This, this is a problem. And at the end of this, what we get is this death thing that's running rampant and pandemic has been globally vast, but God knows how to fix it. And then you're like, but all I have is this little thing. And God goes, hey, you can give me the little, the little will always be enough if you put it in my hands. I remind you, God is the provider. And if God is the provider, anything you give Him isn't even to help Him out. It just gives Him something to work with. And he, would, he could do it without anything you give Him. But giving Him something allows you to be a part of the solution. And do you know what it's like to be part of the solution for something? Even if what you're giving is a bit of your time or a bit of your effort, or just a bit of your smiles and your attention, it is amazing what difference that makes, by the way. no. Chapter 5. Now commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Chapter 5 introduces us to a character we're only going to meet by name in the next two chapters. He is one of very few men mentioned as a mighty man of valor. There are groups called mighty men of valor. Those are kind of army men, if you will. David certainly had that as well. Gideon, Jepsah, David himself, by the way, was called a mighty man of valor when he was still a kid at 1 Sam 16. Jeroboam, interestingly enough, before he became the wicked king that he was, was a mighty man of valor as a commander in Solomon's army. And then you get this guy. So really, if you think about it, at, a kind of, at this particular moment, he's kind of the fifth mentioned uh, of these individually men named as mighty men of valor. And what we have here is, this guy is, is a good, in other words, notice the terms are used. He was great. The term is gadol. It's still used today. Uh, the term for honorable is Adon, like Adonai. In other words, he was a man that was exalted above others. He was a commander. The word for commander, by the way, the Russians took this word to use it, and the word is tsar. That may sound familiar if you have any Russian background. He was mighty. The word there for the word is gibor. Gibor means a warrior or a champion that's victorious. He was a mighty man of valor. And valor, force, might, or virtue was the word, chayil. And don't miss this, that this guy... Had everything from a perspective of physical benefit, except one thing. It is amazing how one thing and an after mention or at the end of a mention changes everything, doesn't it? Consider this: if we were to look, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to get talk. I'm going to talk dangerous here, but that's who cares. All right, here's the deal. Imagine you're a guys. Imagine you're like 17 years old. And you meet this gal, and just to put things in the proper context, she's first of all godly and and an awesome gal of Christ. But she's beautiful. And she is just in every way beautiful in shape and form. Her smile is perfect. Her voice is gentle and dulcet. And everything about her is just your version of awesome. And you can go on with the list for a half hour. But then you say, but she has AIDS. Does that change the deal at all no i'm i'm just trying to I'm just trying to talk straight I'm trying to talk straight because it's like you realize one thing that is infectious that you know marrying this girl that's my future that one thing's a deal breaker not for everybody, but you get the idea. It's amazing because spiritually that same thing happens with someone who doesn't know Jesus, but it just doesn't seem as unattractive. It just doesn't seem like the deal breaker. This guy shows us what it's like to have everything. He's got position. He's got money. We're going to see in a moment this guy comes with a chunk of cash. He's got favor from the king. The, The king of Syria really digs this guy. He's definitely applauding him. So he's popular. He's rich. He's influential. He's powerful. The guy is built and strong, and he's got an army underneath him that looks up to him. He's got it all going, but there's this one little thing he's a leper. And that, let's be honest, that wipes out everything else, doesn't it? Shouldn't it? And we say, well, she needs to be godly, or ladies, he needs to be godly. A man should be a spiritual leader. He should be someone so in love with Jesus and intimidates you. That's would be that would be my prayer. You're like, well, there's not a lot of guys out there like that. Well the good news is you only need one. It happens every time my wife and I have looked for a place to stay because we rent, we've always rented, we've never owned, that comes with the territory. And and with that, we spend a lot of time looking for places to live. And, you know, you get to that point where my wife's like, if I have to look at another place, I'd rather live in a box, you know. And, and you're like, well, don't worry, honey. It only takes one. And the reason I say that is you get to this point where you're just like, you know, well, he needs to be like Jesus. I want to hear scripture come out of his mouth. I want to know this guy is praying for me daily. I want to know that. He opens up scripture and he knows what God wants to say to him and he knows what God has for him and all this is happening and then as you get older things start to drop off and now it's like, Okay, well he needs to call himself a Christian and at least know where a church is. You know, he started off as a pastor's son and now he's kind and then it's like he just has to be breathing. And not actually be in prison at the moment. You know, and it's like amazing how it drops. And it's like what's funny is in the end of it all, there are some things that's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But if, if, you've, if you're if you a leper, you're a leper. And none of the other stuff really matters as much. But there's another thing that's easily missed. First of all, his name, Nahaman. Does that sound like anyone else's name? If this was a male version, Naaman, what would can you think of a female version of this name? Naomi, the name means pleasant, just like Naomi. It's a bit of an ironic name for a guy that's a leper, because I don't know how exactly how pleasant he is. But here's the part we could miss. He is, what's his position? These this should be simple questions. What's his position? He's a commander, the czar, of the army of the king of where? Syria. Don't miss that the perennial, current perennial enemy of Israel. Let me just kind of remind you, here's a quick little background. 1 Kings chapter 20, Ben-Hadad, who happens to be the king of Syria, that's the king they're talking about here, he besieges Samaria. And when he besieges Samaria, of course he besieges, that's King Ahab's territory. Let me remind you, the king of Israel right now, that's his dad. And if you remember what he tells King Ahab, this the king of Israel's dad, current king's dad, Give me all your gold and silver and your girls and kids. And King Ev goes, yeah, Okay, cool. Have it. You can have it. And he goes, Oh, that was easy. I tell you what. I'm going to send all my servants and they're going to go through your houses and take all your stuff, your Xboxes, that whole iPhone X, all the X things, that couch you really like, your flat screen, all the way down to those little Bluetooth speakers you put in places like the toilet so that you can shower in here. If you're looking at me, I just want you to know we have one. It isn't like I know that you have one in your place. This is not creepy time. Perfectly, no time is creepy time. And what's fascinating is King Ahab says, no, that's where I draw the line. You can take my family. You can even take the gold and the silver from the temple or from the, in this case from the kingdom. You just don't touch my stuff. That kind of tells you a little bit about where dad's at. So what happens? They start to trash talk as kings do. And he's like, I'm going to pound you. Basically, in the simplest sense, it's like everyone starts sounding like Mr. T in my head at that point. I'm going to pound your head, I'm gonna, you know. And it's like, I'm going mean, to crush you. Did, there's not enough dust in the world after this. By the time we're done, the, for a handful of each of you. And you know, he's like, by the time we're going to take, take everything, you won't even be able to own the dust that came with it. And I love, this is one of my favorite trash talk retorts. And it's in Scripture, which is the best place to find it, where King F says, by the way, don't, let not a man who's putting on his armor brag like a guy who's taken it off. In other words, bra- you know, bragging before the fight doesn't mean anything compared to the guy who's finished the fight and won. So y'all can talk all you want. You know, you ever see those kind of things where they kind of get in? I don't watch MMA or boxing because it is... It doesn't do great things for me. But it's like you watch those moments beforehand where they try to hype up the fight, and you got two guys in are kind of looking at each other. You ever seen this? You know, and they're all kind of staring at each other. I, the, one I did see because it was sent to me. Yeah, and they both kind of have their fists, and they put them in each other's faces like that, right? And they're like, I want to take you down. And one of the guys has like a six-year-old kid. Has anyone seen this video? Because it kind of went viral. And the six-year-old kid goes over to the other guy and just punches him right below the belt. And then just walks off. And I'm like, I have a feeling that wasn't planned. But it's like, this is what these two guys are doing. They're doing this in your face. And what happens? God brings the victory. Then, as God brings the victory, if you remember, Syria then says, you know what the problem is? We fought him on the hills. Well, their God must be the God of the hills. Please understand, everyone thought gods were territorial. People still do that. You have to go to this place to get a blessing, and you have to go to this place to get the anointing. Well, my God's everywhere, by the way. And, and with that, they're like, well, he's the God of the hills, which is ironic because they serve Baal, and he's supposed to be the God who sits on a hill. And they were, anyways. So they're like, you know what we need to do? We need to get him in the plains. If we can get him in the valleys, we'll whoop him because clearly their God can't show up there. That'll be our turf. And God says, really, you know, because of that, I'm just going to beat them there too. So by the time they're done, it says what happened in the plains is that it says that Israel looked like two little flocks of goats where the Syrian army covered the countryside. Imagine they're like, uh, this is bad. You know, they're kind of looking at each other and they're like, uh, oh, the army. right? And it's like, they didn't stand a chance except God. And it's like, once you've got God, nothing else really matters. And so what happens ultimately is the Syrian attack, Hundred thousand Syrians are killed at that battle. Twenty seven thousand have been fled to a place called Afek, and there at Afek a wall falls on them. Now that is a big wall to kill twenty seven thousand guys. And my thought is, if the wall is falling and it's clearly, do you do you stay in the queue at that moment, or do you kind of I'm I'm stepping out. Anyways, you get the idea. But they captured the king ben haddad, and if you remember. Ahav, current king of Israel's dad, spares him. And God's like, that was not what you were supposed to do. I want to remind you, this is this is your enemy. And there's a difference here because this guy is actually leading the army to kill Israel. And Ben-Hadad makes these promises. You know all that land my dad took? I'm going to give it all back to you. Three years later, they didn't get any of it. So three years later, the king of Israel, Ahav at the time, says to Jehoshaphat, king of the south, hey, Let's buddy up together and get that land back that was promised me. And so then they go. If you remember, that's when they call on all the false prophets and they're like, "They're going to gore him. you are going to take him down." And finally, Jehoshaphat goes, "Do you have any like real prophets, like ones that tell the truth?" And you know you're in trouble when King Achash says, "Well, there's this one guy, but I hate him because he he only says bad stuff about me." So the only guy that tells the truth says uh, says bad things about me. He's clearly the problem. And Jehoshaphat goes, "Really, you should you shouldn't do that." And what ultimately he says is, "Oh, don't worry, Achav, you're going to die in this battle." So Achav turns to Yosephat. Remember this because I can't even make this up. He looks and he goes, "Okay, well, let's still go into the battle." Now. And Yosephat's like, "Okay, sure, okay." And he goes, "But I'm not going to dress like a king. You dress like a king." And I mean, do you realize what Achav is doing? He's going, "Dude, let him get killed. What a buddy." So with all of that, ultimately what happens is is that Jehoshaphat they start chasing after him, thinking he's King Achav, and he's like, "Oh." he's running away and as he's running away they're like that's clearly not king of and so then it says then there was this random soldier doesn't even give him a name doesn't tell us what his position was and he was like i just see him as a soldier with add and he's just kind of doing you just playing with his bow and he puts an arrow and it's like Phew! and it says he shot an arrow at random now i mean Now, maybe you're just one of those guys that's like you've watched too many like expendable movies or something and you're just like, they're just shooting it everywhere. But I just kind of, the way I just kind of vision it, he's like, and it's like, and then there's King Ahab. I remind you, not in his kingly outfit. It gets him in the one spot. Go figure. And he dies. Now, Ahab's second son is reigning in his place. And I remind you, his dad was killed by the king of Syria, and I can't help but imagine that the leader of the king, the commander of the king of Syria, is this guy. Do you really send this guy to be healed in Israel? Does that make any sense at all to you? And I'm thinking, wow, this is like the weirdest kind of war. It's like I'll kill you tomorrow. Oh, but my sister kind of needs some help, and you you fix like you know you fix watches. Can you fi- oh yeah I'll fix their watch, but I'll kill you tomorrow. That's just weird to me. But you get the idea. Let's build on it. Let's move forward. Because that was verse 1. And it says, And the Syrians had gone... Oh, by the way, let me just once say one quick thing. And that is that man would have seen this guy as a greatly honored man that has, that's a leper or in need. But he's a greatly honored man that coincidentally happens to be in need. But what God sees is a man in need who coincidentally happens to be honored. Do you see the difference? So the Syrians had gone out on raids, verse 2, and they will be on raids until the next chapter where God does something fun to stop that. And they had brought back, and they'll even keep trying after that, and they had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. Does that tell you where they were raiding? So they're currently raiding Israel, but they're still going to hook up this favor. And she waited on Nechaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, that happens to be Nechaman's wife, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Nehaman went and he told this to his master. Who is his master? king of Syria, Ben-Chadad. And he says, thus and thus, the girl said, No, no, would you do this if you were this girl? You were captured, kidnapped, forced to work as a slave in this household. He's like, well, if I'm going to be a slave, I might as well be a Christian one kind of the idea obviously we're talking here Jewish and it's like well you know there is healing it's just not going to be found with Baal or and it's not going to be found in Syria it actually comes from my hometown but you know what's weird if you think when Jesus says I say to you love your enemies and bless those who curse you that that's a New Testament concept it appears to be happening right here is this would you not say this was loving your enemy and blessing those who would curse you So Nehemiah says, whoa, I think I could get healed. So he goes to his boss, that's the king, and says, hey, this girl said so-and-so. Verse 5, the king of Syria said, well, go now. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. What kind of letter do you say? Hey, by the way well, okay, let's overlook the fact we keep raiding you and stealing all your stuff. And, you know, remember that whole, that whole thing about, like, I'm going to kick you and kill you and all that. And by the way, no hard feelings on, you know, you killing 127,000 of my guys, even if 27,000 was with a wall, you know, and we're still, you know, we still hate each other and I still want to kill you and all that. But, hey, I've got a favor I would like to ask. The king of Syria said, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. It's important to note, clothing is is a currency, to be honest, in still some places in the world today. Because clothing does a whole lot more for you. By the way, it's actually extremely practical, of course. But it does a whole lot more for you than just kind of give you something else to wear. It actually speaks as you're probably aware of. I mean, I can learn a lot by the way a person dresses, can't you? To some degree, you can kind of guess the refinement to some degree. You can kind of guess whether they might be pleasant or unpleasant if you approach them and begin to speak to them. And and, and it's important to know, you you can kind of guess to some degree whether they're well off or not. Now let me kind of give you an idea of the kind of money he's bringing. And I did this yesterday, so the things may vary to some degree. A talent is 75 pounds, 33 kilograms. There are 10 talents of silver, 6 Thousand shekels of gold. Are you with me on this? Just the silver alone, that, that's ten of these talents versus 33 kilograms. At, by the way, the going rate of 375 pounds a kilogram, that puts us at 123,750 pounds just for the silver. By the time we're actually done here, we're kind of looking at roughly five million nine hundred forty thousand. Uh, 123. I'm sorry, yeah, five million nine hundred forty thousand, one hundred and twenty-four uh, pounds worth of uh, of silver and gold and clothing. So in essence, think of it this way: the guy showed up with roughly six million pounds. The guy's got a lot of money. Why? Because let's face it: in Syria, with the false prophets, you don't get a miracle for Miracle Max without a decent payment. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, verse 6, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Nahum and my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. (laughs) Really? And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and he said, and I remind you, this guy is in ardent opposition to God. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Funny, The guy who is still employing false prophets, living in ardent opposition to the living God, openly acknowledges who exclusively gives life. Did you notice that? Sometimes people don't act in ignorance. They actually act in rebellion. They're like, I don't believe in God. Really. Now, if it were anyone else, imagine you'd be like, well, which one? Isn't it amazing that people have a problem with God only have a problem with Jesus? Have you noticed that? You don't see anyone going, I hate God. Buddha, I'm talking about. I mean, you, just, you just don't find people talking like that. Nobody stubs their toe and goes, "Ah, oh, Buddha, Siddhartha Buddha. I'm funny. And there are times where people could say they're dumb and they don't know what they're talking about, but they do. And this guy clearly knows who gives life, and he's still not seeking him. And what is he saying? This king of Syria is trying to pick a fight with me. He's going to send his commander thinking like he will heal, heal him you know what this is he's just trying to start a war But praise God for Elisha verse 8 when it was so it was when Elisha the man of God notice it doesn't say a man of God but the man of God why is that important later on when God says the man of God we know that that's Elisha Elisha, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and he sent to the king saying why have you torn your clothes please let him come to me and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Elijah hears and sends hope to the king, though the king has never clearly told him anything. And they're like, you need to know. The real prophet is in Israel, not where you're at. And this God used tried try to serve Ramon and, and Baal, there are no help with clear. So Nahaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. So imagine if you will, picture this for a moment. This isn't. Notice it doesn't say he shows up at Elish's palace, or at Elish's you know mansion, or his crib, his decked-out crib. It's just Elish's house. It's just a house. I mean, imagine it's like our house in the middle of our street. And there it is. And he's just knocking on a door. But he's there with his entourage. He's there with his horses. He's there with his chariot. Now, what he's trying to do is simple. He's trying to show you how important he is so you can actually do this. But look at how Elisha responds in verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and it shall be clean. Now, again, let me just say, this is how I picture it. And this is just my interpretation. You're certainly welcome to disagree, but this is my weird mind in the whole thing. He goes and he knocks at the door. He's got his whole entourage and everyone's kind of all in a row and all trying to look really important. He's got his posse because this whole thing's like a rap video and all of this. And he's waiting for the door to open. And Elisha look come and go, wow, you're an important person. What do I do to serve you? And he's like, well, it's pretty obvious. I'm kind of a leper here. He's like, no problem wala 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 give me some of that relic and some water. wala wala, wala, wala wala Be delivered. And then Elisha could turn around and or I'm sorry, then Nehaman could turn around and go, check it out, guys. Ain't none of you have this happen. Would you play how would you play it off in your mind? Because guess what? The way I see it is he gets knocked on the door, and you ever see those little slots that open, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You open it and it's like at least she just says, go and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean as a little baby's bottom. Shoo, and it closes. And that's it. The entourage gets nothing out of that. And he's like, and imagine, and you get the idea, and the Nechaman kind of shows up entitled. But he's a leper. And unless God intervene, it doesn't matter how strong or mighty or valorous or powerful or rich he is, He is dying, and there's nothing that anyone else can do but God to save him. And that's, just go dip in the Jordan, bye, and that's it. And it says he was furious, verse 11. Notice what he says. He was furious, and he stormed away, went away, and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, stand And call on the name of the Lord as God Notice this, and wave his hand all over the place and heal the leprosy. He goes, I saw this on TV. He's going to take off his coat. He's going to wave it. Everyone's going to fall over and shake and I will be clean. I saw it. I played it in my head. You ever do this where you just kind of know how God's going to do it. So you've already rehearsed it in your head. So you know how to act surprised and then say thank you. Right. And you're like, this is the way it's going to happen. And then you're like, that actually did not happen remotely like that. That's what Nehraven is. He's like, man, I pictured it already. I already played this. I rehearsed this in my head. He's going to come out and go, well, check you out. You're important. Let me go take a look around. I've never been in a great Syrian chariot. That, whoa, what's the sound system in that baby? You know, I think, oh, my goodness. Does that have like those cool lights underneath? Oh, look at the hydraulics on that chariot. What kind of horses are those? Are those like Italian horses, like Ferrari horses? You know, this thing really. G- how quickly do you get to like six miles an hour with that? Oh, yeah, that's amazing, right? I mean, you can Oh, and look at your people. Wow, that is a big spear, bro. That you got, you've got big bodyguards, man. Wow, this is cool. He's like, don't worry, man. Let me give you a tour. Sure, just check it out. And by the way, this is. Uh, we just call this guy Chet. You know, he's big. Don't talk to Chet. Chet's kind of scary. And this is our friend. Um, her name is Mengel. She power lips, by the way, and she's in Brazil. So don't mess with her either. You know, it's like, and kinda, you know, it's like, think about how he's like, I'm going to impress this guy. And he doesn't even get audience with him yet. Did you notice that? And he's like, I already played this thing out. He's going to come out. He's going to be like, whoa, you're awesome. Hold on a second. I, I, I worked out this routine, and this one's specially for you. This is like interpretive dance and healing, and holy water all going on at once. Check this out. Ready? You know, And it's like and he's like, play this thing out. And what he got was completely the opposite. He got, Psh, go wash in the Jordan. Psh, and that was it. And it says, he's like, what? I already played this thing out. This is not the way I expected. Now, up to this point, he's been able to tell everyone else what to do. It just ain't working here. Verse, verse 12. Are not the Abana and the Farpar? Now, I don't know about you, but... Far partisans sound like the prettiest river, but there's historical... Well, anyways, Are not the Abana and the Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And he turned and he went away in a rage. You know what that means? He had a hissy fit. He's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's Stupid. Now understand, did Elisha offer him healing? It was offered to him. It just wasn't offered to him in the way he wanted it. Because the way that this is, is humbling. The way he wants it still makes him the man. Now, apparently, according to the Hadith, which I do not call, by the way, some great holy boy or whatever, but it's supposed to be the writings of, of Muhammad, that he actually went to the valley where Abana and Khan are, and he said that it was so beautiful he wouldn't go in there because you only enter paradise once. Now, I don't know whether that really happened or not, but what's clear in all of that is, is that somewhere down the line that could get sort of distributed and people go, oh yeah, that place, that place is cute, that's a really pretty place. That's like Lake District territory, and the only reason I said that is he's like, you know what? Imagine if he's like, okay, this is what I need you to do. I want you to go down to the Camden Canal, dip yourself a handful of times in that, and you'll be fine. And you think, couldn't he have said Tahiti? I mean, the water in Tahiti's good. I could just go there. I could surf and fall off seven times, not a problem. I love the fact that his servants talk of sense into the guy. And please hear me in this. Often, it's not the offer that offends people. It's the humility of receiving it the way he offers it that bothers people. Who in their right mind wouldn't want to not go to hell? Who in their right mind would not want God to touch their life and heal them? But if God's like, I need you to make me your Lord, God's like, men's like, that's a deal breaker, man. There's no way. Can I do it in a way so that I'm still the man? It's like, nope, this is going to kill you. And please understand, leprosy, quickly what this does. It's a rod-shaped acid-fat bacteria that makes its way into your mucous membranes and it gestates while you don't even know it until it makes itself, often looks like a zit until it turns copper color and then white, and ultimately what happens is it destroys the synapses between your nerves so your nerves cannot communicate like they did before. Now your nerves do a whole lot more than signal pain, though they clearly do signal pain. And that becomes a problem when your hand's in the fire, ultimately, and you don't know what's in the fire until you smell and you're like, someone making cookies? Because what you get out of it is is that your hand is not sending the signal to your brain anymore that says get that hand out of the fire. That's what pain is often is a way to stop you from hurting yourself any further. Does that make sense? But that same nervous system also helps regenerate skin. And because it helps regenerate skin and it's not sending the requisition anymore for fresh skin, your skin becomes dusty and white. And it is a telltale symbol that something is not regenerating correctly in your body. And think of it this way. What you are getting is numbed to death. Hear me on that, beloved. Because the world sells numbing agents all over the place. God says, this is not about numbing yourself from the problem. This is about laying your problem down and letting me solve it. Isn't it better when a problem gets solved than just avoided? I've learned the only thing you can avoid that truly goes away are your teeth, and I don't recommend that. Hear me. What if this were spiritual leprosy? What would that be like? It's simple. I just don't want to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. I know when I started into this path, the Holy Spirit was saying, this is wrong. And I felt it wrong. I knew it was wrong. But after a while, I learned to numb myself from the truth that this really is as bad. as. And I'm just like, well, it's not that bad. And now it's just a part of my life. Sounds a lot like what happened to Laodicea. And God does not want that for you, and He does not want that for me. Consider that as we get to the end of this. Verse 13 And his servant came near, spoke to him, and said, My father, remind, this is the one who's serving the If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? No, notice what he says. Is it weird to you that the harder thing would have been the easier thing for you? If you'd have said, do some Herculean feet and do something that only you could do in your strength or whatever, you'd have done it in a heartbeat because it would have still made you the man. And you realize, do you realize only Jesus puts the playing field at a level? If it was about who could pray the most or memorize the most scripture, then those who are disciplined or those who are brighter would have an advantage. If it was about being kind, even proper upbringing may give benefit to that. If it was about church attendance, some people get that at birth. My wife went into hard labor right after I said amen at a Wednesday night Bible study. Is she not a perfect pastor's wife or what? No pressure, ladies. I realize that no matter what it is, It's a discipline, it's a strength, it's a brilliance, or whatever. Somebody's going to have the inside track, except that Jesus says, I need to rescue you. And the only thing that gets in your way now is your pride. He says, if it was something difficult, you would have happily done that, because you know how to do difficult things. But in the end, what he would have said is, I was almost there, but God helped me. Versus God rescued me. Very different. So he went down and he dipped seven times. So he he took the advice of his servants, verse 14. uh, And it says, but he went down a seven, dip seven times in the Jordan. And I wonder if you were like, if it were asked, would we dip a couple times? I'm like, I tried it. It didn't work. Do you ever people say, I tried Christianity. It doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. Jesus works. Christianity should be the product of that. It's like, no, he says dip seven times, man. You ever wonder? Does, it doesn't say, but do you ever wonder? Like he came up and he just checked. He's like, no, nope, nothing. Checked Think a little bit better. Check. I mean, like, did it all happen on the seventh one or was it going in grades? I don't know. It doesn't say. But it does say this, that according to, he did it the seven times, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, he was clean. And I I think this is funny because this is the most seasoned warrior that's heading the entire army against Israel. And he kind of pops up and he's got this little baby face now, you know. He's like, yeah, let's go get him. And it says, and he returned to the man of God, he and his aides, and he came and he stood before him and he says, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Hmm. Now therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Now, I will develop this next week. But I want to end with this thought and we're going to go to prayer. The reason God did this this way was because of this conclusion. What God really wants for you and for them Whoever the them are, is to conclude there is no God in all the earth except this one. This is my only hope. This is my only rescue. This is the one way. But for that to happen, somebody had to be kind enough to tell him. And you might think, well, how can I tell this guy? He's rich, he's powerful, he's popular. He's an all points socially intimidating, and he's kind of a big and scary fella. Oh, by the way, he happens to keep raiding London. You know, kind of the idea. You're like, but you know what? God wants, and and by the way, every human being is going to conclude this sooner or later. Let's just be honest. They'll be like, why was I leaning on that stupid thing? Why did I want this thing? There really is only one God in all the earth and that God paid, sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine and raise again to give you a brand new life. And he's not asking you to earn it. He's not asking you to fight for it or strive or to accomplish something amazing to be deserving of it because you will never be deserving of it and make it grace. And I will never be deserving of it because if I deserved it, it will never be grace. But God wants you to know and he wants me to know tonight that he is offering us the sweet gorgeous forgiveness that comes because he loves you, not because you're lovable or because I'm lovable, but because he is love. And because of that, he's paid the price. Aren't you thankful that our God's the real one? People are like, how dare you say that? Well, let me ask you, what has your God ever done for you? It's a great question to ask. Well, how dare you ask that? I'll tell you what my God has done for me, and you tell me what your God or your lack of God has done for you. My God, when I hated him, loved me, when I was His enemy, sought to reconcile me. When I was by nature, a child of wrath, He sought to adopt me. When I was dead in my trespasses and sin, He sent Jesus to die on the cross on my behalf and raise again to offer me new life. What could compare with that? So as we go to prayer tonight, my friends, I just pray for you and me that we would have a heart. To, be, to to lead people to this conclusion. So I guess it better start with us, yeah? Have you concluded this? No, we're like, well, ideologically, of course, there's no other God but the living God. Of course, we know all of that. But provider, protector, the one who takes pleasure in us and gives us purpose, what gods do you have there? Because when he takes those over, Everything you have has purpose now. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. I want to thank you for how you've led us through it. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that this Nehaman, who was, by the way, talk about an enemy that you still sought to, to bring to this conclusion. If that be the case, how much more as we were we are enemies in our hearts and minds to you, Lord God, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I pray tonight that we would reconcile the gift you have given us. And in reconciling that gift, we would celebrate a God that we know is there's only one God, and it's you. And the one God that's real is the one that loves us. Thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that when you ask us to do things that aren't appearingly magnificent but more mundane and monotonous, we would still do so with great passion and pleasure because if you call us to do it, you have got a great blessing on the other side regardless. So Lord, if this is the case and you were willing to heal this warrior when there were thousands of lepers still in Israel and it was this one you chose to heal who wasn't even Israeli, Remind us that when we look at somebody that seems so at enmity with you, that you still want them delivered and you still want them to conclude that you're the only God and to welcome your adoption. And if that's you tonight and that's what you need to say, well then pray this prayer with me right now. It's a choice to be made. God, I'm a sinner. I believe that sin separates me between me and you. But I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that sin to remove that separation and he died on the cross for me, rose again on the third day and offers me new life. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to achieve it. I simply have to receive it and I say yes. Have me now. I'm yours. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, now for all of us, give us that heart and that passion to to proclaim your goodness to all people's Out that door and in this door. In Jesus' name. Amen.